Father God, it's been quite a week, and uh, boy, we consider what's ahead in the week to come. Lord, be glorified in our future. The city has seen more tragedy in Brooklyn Center. We pray for the family of Dante Wright and all that's going on there. For those involved in that community. We pray for uh, the Derek Chauvin trial that you, Lord, too, would bring out of that your will. Lord, for those who have been affected, the way that that has, um, you know, placed a great deal of, boy, hardship, stress. You know, Lord, we can only but give it to you and put it in your hands, Lord. Pray for peace and justice, and we pray for your mercies, Lord, and I think about, too, what we've just been proclaiming to you, Lord, that you, Lord, would be glorified. For as your will be done, so we will walk in. Lord, we give you our, our future. We lay down our fears and, and, and our frustrations and our anger and our our uncertainties, and we lay before you at the cross of Christ, Lord, our sins and our wrongs. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, and may we pray with a believing heart that, God, you hold these things in your hands, and you will bring good out of tragedy, out of tragedy. So, Lord, we pray this now. As we open up your word, as we let it guide our lives as we do here, Lord, not the other way around, that, that we might bring in themes and things that we want to bring in, but as your word guides us now, as what comes from the text tells us what we should be talking about and, and, and commands what we should be learning, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you now, would you now come into this place in a fresh way and, and give us understanding in your word. And as we have been, been, been singing out and praying, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that your will be done as we follow you, as you guide us. We pray it all in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning, by the way. How are we doing this morning? Uh, is there something about this side? Is this just the more popular side today or... Yeah, you at home don't understand what I'm saying, but we're kind of off-centered here, and it's throwing me off. But anyway, hey, smile for a second. Seriously. I can't, I can't tell, but... Um, yeah, look at the eyes. That's what my wife said. Like, I smile really big now because I, I show it in my eyes, and she has great eyes. Anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah, smile now because we're going to cover a pretty serious, heavy topic today. You know, what else is new, <laughs> right? Yeah, as if it's been lighthearted the last few weeks. Uh, we're going to uh, make our way uh, to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 33. I'd love if you followed along as we look at two parables that Jesus teaches us under a section of Scripture that we entitle The Cost of Discipleship. It's the parable of the, I'm going to call them the Towers and the King, 
But as we're going there, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were in a situation where you had to either commit or not to something that you knew from the onset was going to come at a great cost with great undertaking? Just think about that for a second. When was the last time that you really needed to count the cost? Think about that for a moment. My, my oldest son is uh, just beginning to look at like colleges and what comes off after high school and, and kind of life and future ahead. And so my wife and I are finding ourselves in this season of life that's a little like frightening in one way or another and, and very exciting. And, and he's beginning to look at different, uh, you know, it, maybe I go in this direction or that direction. He's, he's, he's looking at you know, different professions and, and some of the, the schooling that it would take to accomplish those sorts of things. And, and so as he is weighing the cost as to, you know, what you might have to do to accomplish this sort of thing, he is counting the cost versus benefit. And, and so are we, <laughs> right? So are we. We, we might be involved in that, that schooling in one way or another, financially one way or another, Right? And, and that's something we're, we're praying about. But we kind of have these things in everyday life, don't we? In, in fact, you, you might have been counting the cost as to whether you should come today or not, you know. Maybe you wanted to be planting your garden, you know, today or something like that. And you had to kind of, well, you know, benefit, cost, that sort of thing. Any of you? No, no one's into gardening? I don't know why I came up with that illustration. Who knows? Oh, it's too early. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not a botanist. Anyway, um, counting the cost, that's what we're going to talk about today, cost versus benefit, and, and thank you for your feedback, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Luke 20, well, verse 25, chapter 14, it says, now great crowds accompanied him, him being Jesus, and, and Luke tells us this at the onset of the story I only, I only get so far in before I have to tell you something. He, he tells us this at the beginning of the story for a reason. He, he wants us to understand that at this point in Jesus' ministry, there's, he's starting to gain some popularity, some notoriety, maybe just because of the miracles he's doing, certainly because of the teachings. And he's, he sees it necessary to tell those who are following him, these great crowds that are following him, him knowing their hearts and knowing that they might not be following him for selfless reasons. He sees it necessary to tell them something really, really serious, really, really important. So it, it would it would be necessary for us to really listen to what he is about to say. But let me tell you, it's going to shock you, okay? Don't say you weren't warned, okay? No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Listen to what he says next in verse 26. If anyone comes to me, if anyone comes after me, if anyone is to follow me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? I told you. I told you. Now, now first of all, what does it mean? Okay. We're going to get to that. All right? But let me just get to the parable. Okay? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, another parable, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, and this is the point of the parable, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple We'll start here. Jesus is certainly using this figure of speech or this kind of language, which, which you know, English teachers, you'll understand this, which is called hyperbole, okay? So first understand, you know, this kind of teaching, and his, and his hearers would have understood this, certainly. In fact, it was a common rabbinic way of teaching, and Jesus was a rabbi, he was using exaggerated language to drive home a really important point. But we also have to be careful, even when we ter- use that term exaggeration, because Jesus wasn't trying to mislead us in any way either. So, so please understand when I use exaggerated language, I mean he's really driving home a point because he's using this kind of language that's really about contrasting two statements, and we do it all the time. Like my kids with their food, you know, they have something they like, like chocolate, and they're like, I love it. Well, you love me and you love your mom, but you love chocolate too, right? It's an exaggeration. And then when we give them broccoli, what do they say? Yuck, I hate this, right? And then we say, don't use the word hate, you know, that sort of thing, in our home anyway. But we we use this same kind of language. This is the way Jesus is teaching here. Don't misunderstand it. He's making a very sharp contrast. To love Jesus as Savior and Lord is to love him over everything else in contrast. This should make us feel a bit uncomfortable. That's, the, that's what he's trying to do in one way or another. To love him is to, in contrast, hate everything else in comparison But of course, he would never instruct us to hate in any way, for he also taught us that to hate was no different than murder. But he said it. So what does he mean? Well, let's start here. Jesus understood, and so it would be important that we do too, that family is one of those areas in our lives where we will be challenged in our relationship to God. It could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be a parent, it could be a cousin, go on, all on down the line. Jesus had family members that didn't believe in him. He had to deal with this too. There's a young man I know quite well from a different country, a very different culture, where it is actually illegal to convert to Christianity. 
And on more than one occasion, we've had conversations about this and the hardship it is. And on more than one occasion, without divulging too much information, even for his own safety, I would say that he has told me things like, you know, I really do worry about what my family thinks. But not just what they think, what they could do. I worry about what my brothers could do to me, that sort of thing. My father could do to me. And on more than one occasion, he's expressed concern about them, you know, possibly turning him in or that, that sort of thing. And, and, and he says has said this to me before. I don't so much worry about, about dying. He said, but I worry about torture. And man, when he said that, I just had to think to myself, that is so heavy. Of course you would. Of course you would. He's counting the cost, a cost that I have never had to account as of yet. But here's what Jesus is doing here, church. He is making sure that we understand that although we don't know the future, so we really don't know what to count, the threshold is high. In fact, it is the highest because nothing would be worth losing eternity over. Nothing, absolutely nothing is worth losing your soul over. Not family, not friends, not the things we have. Jesus taught this way in hyperbole in many other ways, in many other lessons, like when he says, if your eye or your hand causes you to sin, cut it out or cut it off. He didn't mean hurt yourself in any way. He meant it's not worth it in contrast to lose your soul. So what's the parable getting at? We're kind of getting into that right now. First and foremost, before you commit, know what you're getting into. Know what you're getting into. See, what's really unique about this story is Jesus isn't really talking about us. He's actually talking about himself. See, Jesus was going to the cross. He was going to lay down his life, and he did. The parable is actually about selfless love for us and our need for that love. It's an exposition of the same idea that we read in 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, the other 3.16 that's just as good. By this we know, it says, love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. In other words, what love is, is completely sacrificial. That, that's the standard of love. If you think, Jesus is saying, that everything is ahead, everything ahead, excuse me, is going to be a bed of roses, right? It's going to be easy. He's saying, if you think that, and in the event you do, because by the way, we do sometimes think that, in the event you do, he's going to say, don't be surprised when then you're frustrated and you're disillusioned and you're disappointed. And we do get that way, don't we? We think, well, this isn't fair. You know, in God's economy, he's not really concerned about fairness. Not because he doesn't love us, but because his will is higher and greater than ours. 
If you think that it's going to be easy, he's saying, you're going to run the risk of not only misunderstanding, you're going to run the risk of quitting. And there are consequences to quitting. Many consequences to quitting. Eternal consequences. And even beyond that, we'll get into that later. In the event, though, that we are challenged by any means in our allegiance to the one who offers us salvation, we have to know there is cost and there is consequence if we're going to stay the course and finish the race. And why is that? Because there is an enemy There is a great enemy. The enemy is real. It's not fake. It's not delusion. It's real. And it's the enemy that Jesus went to the cross to defeat. See, he came to finish what we could not. See, there is a cost. In fact, the cost is everything. Jesus had to lay down his life for us. It cost Jesus Everything. But thankfully, he went to the cross. He laid down his life. He defeated the enemies of sin and evil so that we could have eternal life in his name. And although we do not yet experience all of the victory, he has won the victory. That we can be assured. And we see it in his word and we're We're reminded of the promises he gives us. And and when we walk in his ways, we see glimpses of what is ahead. What we're describing here is uh, what real discipleship is. Total commitment. He's saying there isn't really another way to do it because I'm God. (laughs) That's what he's saying. By its very nature, it's all or nothing, because if you want to go in the same direction as Jesus, it comes with a cross. We sang about it earlier. It comes with a cross. What does Matthew 24, 16 say? If anyone would come after me, that means follow, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? It doesn't mean demean yourself. It's actually not really talking about sacrifice here. It's actually talking about, and, and, and his hearers would have understood this in more rabbinic terms. He's actually talking about Sabbath rest. It's a, it's a word that sometimes we use like surrender. What Sabbath was about, even what we're doing here today, is about giving up our time for the glory of God. That kind of rest. Like we put down the things that we are doing and put him first. That's why church, like this, isn't optional. It's just not. We, we think it is because we have all sorts of excuses for what worship should be and what it shouldn't be. And yeah, we have our own cultural nuances about the way we do it and the day we do it and all of those things. But that's, that's not the point. Jesus is saying... It's all for the glory of God. Your life is for the glory of God. And that's what he's teaching us in this lesson as well. Total commitment. Total surrender. We give up our lives in honor for his glory. And, and there's, no, there's no negotiating with God on this. He's creator and Lord. Jesus went to the cross to save us. There is no 
negotiating his will. We have to assume it could be all or anything. And, and here's why Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling us these, these matters. He knows that we're inclined in our own selfishness to wonder, well, Jesus, how far do I have to go and still can be your disciple? Like, what do I really have to commit to in order to still be your disciple? And in our own flesh, we can tend to take it a little too far and say, like, well, what cost is too much cost? And, and, and how much do I really have to give? Is there a way or, or like, a plan that you have? I mean, it's, is it kind of like healthcare where you can, you can like, choose different plans? And, and then, like, one of them is, like, you, you, you pay a little bit less, but then you get a little bit less in heaven, that sort of thing. We do it with everything. Jesus, could, could I do the plan where I, like, I just walk the race and just finish later? Could, it, could I squeak, squeak my way into heaven, just get a toe in the door? And Jesus is saying, it doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way for my son. That's why you count the cost today. The threshold is here. Not here, here, here. And by the way, that kind of thinking is not good with any commitment whatsoever. We know that. In other words, even in everyday life, we get what Jesus is saying here. How little can I do and still get by in my classes at school? Not what I want my kids saying. How little can I do and still keep my job? Not what we want our workers saying. What do I really have to give and still be a valued member of this team? We do it even with like diet and exercise. Is there a plan that's easier where I can eat whatever I want and exercise whenever I want and still be in good shape? No, there's not. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And Jesus is saying the same thing. To be a disciple of his comes at the commitment of the greatest and highest threshold because we're walking in his direction. Do you get that part? We're following him, not the other way around. And that's what we don't always do. That's what we fail at so often. Jesus, can we do kind of my direction and kind of yours? And he's saying that's not the way it works. As a military recruit say, to his commander, well, I'll commit to boot camp, but not to war. Or I'll commit to like half of what you expect out of me, but not the other half. No. It's the commander who tells them what, why, because they're the ones who understand what it's going to take to finish the job that they were given. That's the point. And there's more. I, I hope that we understand that the way we follow matters to God for so many reasons. First and foremost, like I said, for His honor and for His glory. But also, it matters because quitting has both personal and collective consequences here on earth. And what do I mean by that? 
Look at verse 29 and 30. It says otherwise, and this is within the parable, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to what? You tell me. Mock or ridicule him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. They're laughing at him. That's what is going on here. Does a contractor or a builder start laying footings and foundation and build without first having the estimator come in and give cost estimates? No, that would be foolish. Don't go halfway through a project and find out you don't have the funding or the materials or the labor. That's the point of the other illustration he gives too. Does a commander say, you know, we're going up against 20,000 and we only have 10,000 but I don't want to negotiate peace. Jesus said you count the cost. And here's his point. You ready? We represent the cross and the resurrection. It's not just the cross, but the cross. Because that's where we laid our sins down. And it's in the resurrection where we have victory. But my point is this. This is the greater way. He's saying, I'm going to lay down my life. Watch what they do to me. But I'm committed to the will of the Father, for it is the only thing worth following. See, following Jesus is more than a religion. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a title or a cultural thing. If he went to the cross and rose again, our faith's not a concept. It's real. It's grounded in a real event, the resurrection. Our faith is not an idea. It's not a moral construct. It's relationship, and it's the foremost relationship. So here is what he's saying. The world is watching. They're watching. And they're wondering, is it true? Is it true? If Jesus is alive, wouldn't there be something different about his followers? Prove it. Live it out. He's saying they're watching. They're watching to see if you finish. And just so that you don't think that what I'm saying is all the burdens on our shoulders, that is not what Jesus is saying here, and nor is it what I'm saying. He is saying, I went and made sacrifice so that you could follow me. It's about him. You know, all throughout history of the church, there have certainly been a remnant that have proven this lesson to be true. That when the going gets tough, when things aren't fair, when challenges and persecution and upheaval happen, the church has responded not by running from it or giving up, but stepping in and serving the kingdom. And out of it has always brought, not worse, but growth. Not decline, but growth. Strength, resolve. See, the true believer grows through opposition. Doesn't mean we'll like it. Certainly doesn't mean we look for it. But rather than wilt under pressure and conformity, it's usually conformity, we instead grow. The apostles that went before us, you, you know this, right? History records that every single one, excluding John to our knowledge, 
died for the faith. And that's awful. It's maybe not our cross. We don't know the future. It's maybe not something that we're dealing with right now, but many in the world are. But here's what I want to say, and I'll say it in closing. If they and the many others who came after them hadn't stood strong, then maybe we have never heard the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, right? If they hadn't stood, we probably haven't even heard the message. Thanks be to God that there have been disciples who have gone to the very end and lived out the faith so that, yes, even you and I could know him. What a faith to emulate. What a thing to consider, right? How do we respond to a text like this? And what does it mean? We'll start here. Church, we need to be thinking long-term, not just about today, not just about this moment. We need to evaluate our circumstances and commitment first, but we need to evaluate based upon not knowing what's ahead and count the cost, and the threshold needs to be the highest of thresholds because it's not just us that we need to consider. In fact, it's not just our souls that we need to consider in this, but there are generations to come that are going to need to know the good news of Jesus and the salvation and the forgiveness he offers, right? Amen? And that is something that we need to undertake as a community of believers, not under a burden or obligation, but under, under great freedom and, and with, great, with great joy, right? To commit our lives to something that is worth every cost, cost-benefit. What is ahead is so much better than what we have now. Not an easy thing to do, but as we store up treasures eternally, we recognize, we recognize that what is ahead and the blessings that are ahead are so much greater than anything this bitter world offer us. So our response is, Lord Jesus, your will be done. We trust you no matter what's ahead. It's a prayer about our futures. And we weigh what's ahead diligently. And, and we consider that it will not be easy. But worth it? Yeah. Yeah, worth it. For our precious Savior, he gave everything for us. He loves us that much. And to that, we just say, Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you that the cost you, you actually took upon yourself. And so what we're living in is the freedom to say, Lord Jesus, we believe and place our faith in you. 
and not in the schemes of the evil one who wants to destroy and manipulate and divide. And Lord, we too, with that, have a responsibility in our own homes to put you first, because that's when we will serve one another rightly. So Lord Jesus, you be first, and may we store up treasures that go far beyond this life, for there is even generations to come that need to know the truth of your word. So Lord, may that be us. We pray may it be us. And we respond likewise, trusting you above all else. Lord Jesus, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. Would you stand with me as we close